You are listening to Gone But Never Forgotten. Our topics can include, but are not limited to, murder, sexual assault, graphic and gruesome details, and more. These topics are adult in nature and are not meant for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. In many of our cases, we look at missing person cases that involve one person being kidnapped or disappearing. In this episode, we're going to look at a case that is really one of a kind, at least in Canada. This case is going to cover the disappearance of not one, but four people simultaneously in August of 1989 in British Columbia, Canada. This case intertwines many of the topics and themes that we have covered in the past on the show. It includes the disappearance of four Indigenous people. It is also a story of people going missing, seemingly without a trace. And this case shows once again how vulnerable people have been preyed upon in the past. Welcome to episode 40 of Gone But Never Forgotten, The Jack Family Mystery. and welcome back to GBNF. It feels like forever since we recorded an episode as we have been doing these in bunches as much as we can for the summer since we have such a busy time ahead of us. We're always on the move in the summer months. It's true. We try to make the best of our Canadian summers because I am so not a winter person. Ugh, I hate the cold. Yeah, but you also hate the heat too, so there's just no winning with you. This is why I like spring and fall the best. Somewhere in the middle with a sweater. That's where it's at. I honestly can't disagree with you there. Fall is certainly my favorite season here in Canada. Like Julie said, we've been keeping busy. We've been camping once already, and we have our big summer trip up north coming up as well, which is so awesome. We're headed to the land where 17 degrees Celsius is a high in August. I think we're both going to love it there. I can't wait. It's going to be so beautiful just seeing Northern Ontario all in itself. We hope that all of you out there are having an amazing time and summer as well. The world has been tough on all of us lately. Make sure that you are finding ways to have some fun and take advantage of what's around you whenever you can. I absolutely love camping, being off the grid and just being away from everything. It's the perfect trip for a mental, physical, and restful vacation. And life out there, it's pretty simple. We got to go camping with some of Lance's family just recently, and it was truly a blast. Nothing beats just spending time with the people that you love and that mean everything to you. We always have a great time with anyone from our families. We have great families. Maybe that's why we're so great. Uh, someone is being humble today. Ah, humbleness is boring. But I'm going to use the topic of family as our segue here as we transition into the episode. 
Families do so many things together when they're close, but one thing that is not common at all, especially here in Canada, is an entire family disappearing together. Let's all talk about the Jack family and the awful unsolved mystery that surrounds them to this day, 33 years later. Prince George is the largest city in northern British Columbia, Canada. The city has a population of 74,000 in the metropolitan area. Prince George is often referred to as the northern capital of British Columbia. The city is located at the point where the Fraser River and the Nechaco River meet, right at the crossroads of highways 16 and 97. Prince George is where the Jack family lived. The Jack family was 26-year-old Ronald, or Ronnie Paul Jack, his wife, 26-year-old Doreen Ann Jack, and their sons, 9-year-old Russell Jack and 4-year-old Ryan Jack. The Jacks had been struggling a bit financially because Ronald had previously been working at a sawmill but had hurt his back pretty badly and was unemployed and collecting welfare. It was getting to be time for Ronald to get back to work. And that is why he couldn't believe his luck when he got chatting with a man at the First Leader pub in Prince George on August 1st, 1989. The man found out that Ronald was struggling and looking for work, and he offered up the chance of a lifetime to Ronald and his family. The man said that there was a job opportunity that he could offer to not just Ronald, but his wife Doreen as well. It is believed that the man said that the job was either at a logging camp or a ranch, and it was in the Klukels Lake area of British Columbia, which was about 40 kilometers to the west of Prince George. For Ronnie, the man said that there was a job opportunity for him there, bucking logs. Bucking logs is the name for the job when you slice a felled and delimbed tree into logs. For Doreen, the man said that she would be able to work as a cook's helper in the kitchen for the lumber camp. The man even told Ronald that there was a daycare on site that would take care of young Russell and Ryan if they made the trip with them. Ronald told the man that he didn't have a vehicle though, and as such they did not have the means to make the trip there and back when the work was through. The man then told Ronald that he would drive him there himself, that they could go that very night. Ronald knew that this was what was ideal for him and for his family. This was a chance for them to get working again and to make a good chunk of money in a short amount of time. He told his brother that they were going to leave immediately and that they would be working at the camp for 10 to 14 days. The timing was perfect because it was late in the summer, but not too late. The family could go work at the camp for a couple of weeks and still be home in time for the start of the school year. I hate to say it, but people aren't wrong when they say that sometimes things are too good to be true. I honestly hate so much that that saying is true, but the reality is that perhaps today, even more than ever, that is the case. Ronald decided that because this was exactly what the family needed, they needed to jump at it and went home and started the process of getting his family together rather quickly so that they could make the temporary move and start making money. Ronald went home, told his family, and called his brother around 11.15 p.m. He told his brother about the camp job that they were taking. About two hours later, he was calling his parents in Burns Lake, British Columbia. He told his parents that the family would be at the camp for roughly 10 to 14 days. 
While the phone calls were being made, the man waited for Ronnie, Doreen, Russell, and Ryan. The family was last seen leaving their home at 1.21 a.m. in the wee hours of August 2nd, 1989, and they climbed into a dark-colored pickup truck with the man that Ronald had met at the bar. That would indeed be the last known time that the family would ever be seen. This was a weird case for sure because the family had made phone calls, their disappearance was not reported for a long time because everyone they knew and everyone that knew the family knew that they were gone away to work at a camp and they would be gone for a couple of weeks. It would actually be 23 days later when the Jack family was finally reported missing. This seems like it was either an elaborate setup or the perfect storm. You can almost see the man telling Ronnie that he and his family needed to pack up quickly and let the family know where they were going. Yeah, it certainly almost seems like a very elaborate thing on the part of this man at the bar. Obviously, the case is still unsolved, but it seems pretty obvious that this guy in the pickup truck knew exactly who and what he was looking for. Obviously, 23 days is a long head start in a missing persons case. Usually, you can try to piece together eyewitness reports and start collecting tips and evidence pretty quickly when something is recent in the minds of people. But as we have covered in the past here on the show, when this much time passes, often things that someone has seen do not really stand out as much. Not to mention, this was 1989. There was not a lot of things like closed-circuit TV to help in a case like this. Police would hit the ground running once the call came in, but they were very behind the eight ball and time was kicking their butt. That would not be the only thing that would inevitably work against the investigation. The Jack family belonged to the Cheslata Carrier Nation and were indigenous peoples. We know that that can skew investigations at times from previous episodes. This would be one of those cases where, unfortunately, there was just not a lot of leads to follow up on. Aside from neighbors that saw the family all leaving together in the man's truck and people at the bar who described the man that Ronnie had been talking to, there was pretty much nothing. The only real piece of information that would come up would be called into police almost seven years later. It would in fact be what is still known as the most significant tip in the case, and it can't be verified as even being correct. On January 28, 1996, a man in Stony Creek, British Columbia would call the Vanderhoof police and leave a short message. The message that was left was, quote, the Jack family are buried in the south end of ranch, unquote. The name of the ranch was not understandable. The phone call lasted for less than 10 seconds, and there was no time for dispatch to even ask questions of the callers. Investigators would ask for more help by appealing to the public in newspapers. They asked for the caller to call in again. Unfortunately, that call never came. The recording of the call would later be analyzed to try and get answers. Police did trace the call to a home in Vanderhoof, but apparently there was a house party on the night of the call, and it remains unclear if the police were ever able to verify who could have or who did make that call. Over the years, hundreds of interviews were made, thousands of documents have been made regarding the case, and there have even been multiple property searches over the years in and around both where the family lived and where they were believed to be headed. 
All of that was for naught, though. No signs of the Jack family have ever been discovered. Marlene Jack, Doreen's sister, has been one of the biggest advocates for the case of the missing family, and she has said over the years that she has been disillusioned by the investigation into the case. Saying that the RCMP does say that the case is still open and that they are still accepting tips regarding it, but she also believes that there is no urgency when a tip comes in any longer. She feels that the police do eventually follow up on any tips, but there is no longer any desperation when it comes to her missing family members. You can understand that to an extent, but Marlene believes that even when an area or a property is mentioned as a possible burial place, a lot of time passes before any response is put together. She feels like, aside from the family, very few people are still actively trying to solve this case. As we mentioned, this case is unique in Canada and to date one of a kind. We hope that something like this never happens again, of course. Missing persons cases are so heartbreaking, but a case of an entire family disappearing like this is just awful. The man at the bar was described by witnesses and a composite of the man has also been made. He was described as a very large man. He was between 6 feet and 6 feet 6 inches tall and Caucasian. He had reddish brown hair and a short full beard and mustache. That hair went to the bottom of his ears and he wore it parted to one side. It was believed that in 1989 he was between 35 and 40 years of age and approximately 200 to 275 pounds. At the time of the meeting at the bar, the man was wearing a baseball hat, a red checkered work shirt, faded blue jeans, a waist-length blue nylon jacket, and work boots. We will share a photo of the man on our social media accounts, but please remember also that if the man was 40 in 1989, he would be 73 years old today. A lot of time has passed in this case. As for the Jacks, Doreen was 26 at the time of disappearance and would be 59 today. She had brown eyes, black hair, and was an indigenous woman. She was 5'2 and weighed approximately 110 pounds. Ronnie Paul Jack was also 26 at the time of his disappearance, so he too would be 59 today. He had brown eyes and black hair and also was indigenous. He was 5'6 and weighed approximately 150 pounds at the time. Russell Fabian Jack was 9 at the time of his disappearance, and that means that today he would be 42 years old. He had brown eyes and black hair and also indigenous. He was 4 foot tall and weighed approximately 88 pounds at the time of his disappearance. And finally, Ryan Paul Jack was 4 years old at the time of their disappearance. Today, he would be 37. He also, of course, was indigenous and was roughly 3 feet 3 inches tall and weighed approximately 55 pounds. So far, there is so little information on what happened to the Jacks after they got into that car and headed towards something that was meant to change things for the family. Unfortunately, the changes that came cannot be described, solved, or were certainly not what the family was looking for. Doreen and Ronald were survivors of the residential school system and certainly deserve to have their story come to an end. If this was a case of murder, which it certainly seems it is, the family that was left behind without four members deserved to know what happened. 
And justice certainly needs to be served here. If this family met an untimely end as it seems that it did, someone needs to be turned in and charged in this case. Everyone needs to know that it doesn't matter what race a family is or how long it has been since things happened, closure is deserved and justice will be served. This is one of those cases that I hope that gets solved because I want people to know that it doesn't matter if a day, a week, or 33 years passes by. You will be caught and you will pay for what you do in this world. These were four young people. I mean, two children, but the parents were 26 years old also. The, all of these people had an entire life ahead of them. With everything in the news in recent years about missing and murdered Indigenous women, residential schools, and just racism in general, somebody that is still alive out there has all of this on their conscience. It is most likely the man at the bar. Even if he's not the man that kidnapped or killed this family, he has never come forward, and that alone is damning. If you're out there and you know what happened to the Jack family or even may have a tip that you think could be helpful, pick up a phone and make a phone call. Prince George RCMP can be reached at 250-561-3300 and the case number is 1989-28607. You can also call Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-TIPS or visit their site online, canadiancrimestoppers.org slash tips. You can also email the National Center for Missing Persons and Unidentified Remains at Canada's missing canada at rcmp-grc.gc.ca. In 2020, new photos with age progression were made for all four family members in hopes that perhaps murder is not the answer here. We will also, of course, share those photos on our social media and have links in our show notes as well. You always hope that a family wouldn't just up and disappear on purpose like this and leave a family and friends and life behind. But of course, I mean, that is better than the alternative. Can you honestly even start to imagine how you would feel if four members of your family just disappeared forever like this? Uh, no, obviously I can't. Um, but I don't know if that's the case here. Like, I feel like something happened to them. You know, like, I don't think they just got up and went. Like, I, th I don't think they had a plan to leave the rest of their family. I think they genuinely were desperate and somebody preyed on them. Okay, Frenchie, so I'll rephrase things in English for you. If four members of your family were taken away like this, can you put yourself in those shoes? Can you even, like, start to fathom what happened here? Oh, I see. Um, no, I can't. Like, I, I think that would be just the worst. Because I feel like when one person goes missing in your family, it's bad, but it's more common. So you kind of can rationalize in your mind that someone would take one person or this or that. When it's a whole family, it, you start to wonder, like, what did the whole family do? Or what did someone see in the family? What was their purpose? Like, it's not just individual traits that you're trying to figure out why someone preyed on them. Yeah, for sure. Like, what you mean is, like, you know, like, often with serial killers, so to speak, like, they are going after blonde women for some reason. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah, like, 100%. I think that what I, what we said earlier is kind of it, right? I mean, if this was the case of this man either working for someone or doing it on his own, 
he was sitting in that bar and he started talking to Ronnie. That's what I think happened. And he was like, okay, so this family's on the, they're hurting. They got no money. He's on welfare. This guy needs a job. Clearly can't find work so easily right now. This is the perfect situation. Like this guy, I feel like this guy like knew what he was doing. Yeah. See, I feel like he knew what he was doing, but I don't think he planned it. Like, I feel like maybe he was just itching for like a crime or whatever. You know how sometimes like serial killers or people that commit crimes they go a little while without committing a crime because they're waiting for the perfect opportunity and then bam he starts talking to ronnie and he's like this is the perfect opportunity like i need to get this done today you know because everything was so quick like it was like oh come with me tonight it's going to be now your whole family like he literally said everything that ronnie needed to hear to trust him and go with him yeah like i think you're on to something there but i don't i don't think that this like it sounded like at the beginning you kind of felt like maybe it was like spur of the moment. I think this was a well-planned out thing that was just raiding for the right time. I mean, he knew the name of a ranch. He knew where they were going to go, quote unquote. He knew, you know, what things to say. He knew like, oh yeah, there's a job for your wife. And oh yeah, don't worry about the kids. Yeah. Like there's, you know, well, like okay. it was well-planned out. Yeah, but I don't think it was planned out necessarily for the Jack Correct. family. Yeah, like, like I think 100%. it was just planned out for which whatever family would bite first. Yeah, yeah no, I think that that's 100% yeah. true. I mean, because, you know, I don't feel like and everything that I read doing research, you know, there's nothing that really stands out as to why someone would want to make this family disappear or kill this family. But yeah, I think literally he found this guy that was down on his luck and wanted to help his family because obviously like he'd been hurt. They, you struggle a lot, you know, it doesn't matter if you're on an unemployment or what you're on. Like you're not making a lot of money. Your family's probably going through stress. And I think that, you know, a lot of us now through COVID and stuff, like we can totally understand that money's tough, man. Yeah. Like well, it's and, a struggle. And you can tell that like he obviously was a hard worker because he was looking for work. Like yep. he wasn't just waiting around. Like he wanted to make, well, from what we have researched, mm -hmm. it seems like he wanted his family to have a better life. And I think that driven um, that drive, sorry, inside of him is what made him jump at this opportunity. Like he was literally so desperate and so hurting to find a solution for his family. Because I mean, as we know, it's very common for men to feel like they're not providing when they're not working or something like that, or financial stress happens. The man feels like it's their responsibility. So he saw something that could fix all, essentially all their problems and he jumped for it. And I just feel like that's so sad because he, like, it sounds like he was just a good, hardworking person, you know? So, I don't know. I think it's sad. And I also think, uh, you know, I try not to think that it's he was targeted because they were Indigenous. But it's hard in this world to not think that because he was Indigenous, that person jumped on him. So, um, I just think it's it's just sad because all the pieces just kind of fit together perfectly for that uh that criminal you ready for a really crazy analogy from this okay so like, hear it. <laughs> i was like well i was just listening to you talk about you know like how someone feels like guilty or like they have to fix everything 
and like you think about the world around us like here in canada we have so many scams right now you know like oh the government of canada wants to give you a refund or they're coming to arrest you or your bank refund or hey like your cable company decided that you were overcharged too much all kinds of things like that always and yeah. that's because look at the times we're in like everyone's struggling financially yeah. things everyone's are hard desperate everyone's desperate so it's like you got a little text that tells you like hey here you got a you know a direct money transfer for 200 bucks from this yeah people fall for it because 200 bucks is the difference sometimes between meal on the table or not it's true and you know like this guy was just kind of you know an early scammer he figured out exactly how to sweet talk ronnie and how to get that whole family to go and like i said earlier i bet you he was like yeah 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 just call your parents call your brother tell them you're going you'll be gone for a couple of weeks because if there was any evidence or witnesses or anything like what do you remember two weeks later yeah. Three weeks later, in this case, like it was a lot of days that went by because they just suspected, oh, they probably stayed at the camp a little bit longer. And then finally, it got weird. Yeah. You're not hearing from Ronnie, you're not hearing from Doreen, yeah. and they're not home. Yeah, it's just so sad. Like, I honestly want to know what happened in this case so much because I want to know, like, are they alive or are they somewhere actually making a better life but they're just not allowed to leave like i mean i still think it's a crime mm -hmm. but i just wonder <clears throat> what crime is happening yeah you for know? sure this could be you know there's a hundred different ways this could go you know it's not just they disappeared by choice or they got murdered like you said there's lots of stuff that could be going on well yeah and like i feel so bad for marlene jack who is trying to keep this case alive and trying to push and push and push for her family to um, have some closure or have some answers and all that. And, and for her, she's just feeling like everything is being brushed off. Like, oh, it's been 33 years. Like, we're not going to rush to this, you know? But we say it constantly. Like, any day and any tip could be the difference between life and death. It could be the difference between a solved and unsolved case. Um, and it could be the difference between a closed and an open case. So I really... I really, really hope right now, and we can plead to the public right now, like, if you know anything about this case, even if it sounds so ridiculous and small to you in your head, just call the police, call Crime Stoppers. They don't even need to know it's you. You can make an anonymous tip and, and get this case some closure, you know, or some answers or at least a lead in the right direction. And that one tip might unravel the rest of the case. Yeah, and I think we'll kind of wrap a little bow with one more thing here. Like, just to touch on what you were saying about Marlene and the 33 years that have passed. Like, look at one of the most famous stories in Canada, The Babes in the Woods. 70 years later, they finally know who those two children were. Mm. Like, there's still, and there were, you know, there's people that were interested. It made the news for a reason. Like... This is, for us, people like us, this is just a story, and we want to know the end. It's like having a book without an ending. Yeah. But for people like Marlene, this is her friggin' family. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, 33 years isn't too long to make a phone call so that somebody else can at least phone and say, hey, this is what happened to your family. Yeah. Well, and it would be even better if the man at the bar would come forward, even if he didn't have, like, part in the murder necessarily, or maybe he didn't know what this was going to lead to. Someone was just like, hey, I'll give you, like, you know, X amount of dollars to da-da-da-da-da. Like, at least if he would come forward and put, like, a missing piece to that puzzle, that would be really, really helpful. Yep. So, um, 
you know, all that to say, this case really shows that um, you have to be really nice to people, be kind in this world, because everybody is struggling and uh, don't take advantage of people. You know, like I think that person, like I said, preyed on the fact that he was desperate and weak and needed something. So don't let that, you know, scare you or whatever, but just be another kind person out there. Try to be a little bit better every day um, because we're all struggling, all of us. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, you know, it goes back to, you know, our new tagline, so to speak, on the show. If you're this guy that was driving the truck or you know the guy that was driving the truck, close that circle. Give that little bit of evidence, that little piece of information. For you, be better. And for everybody else out there, remember too. Until next week when we're back again with GBNF, you guys have a challenge too. And that challenge is simple. Just be better. We'll see you guys next week, and thanks for listening.